Welcome to Waiting for Review, a show that follows the journeys of two iOS developers. I'm Dave Knott, an iOS developer from Devon, England. And I'm Dave Wood, an iOS developer in Wellington, New Zealand. Join us as we discuss the development, code and technology of our journeys. Okay, so as we're coming to the end of a year and almost a year that the show's been running, we thought we'd take a look at the highs and lows of tech in 2017. We thought we'd kick things off, Dave. We'll ask you, what's one of your highs of 2017? I think one of the highs for me, despite not actually having one yet, um, was sort of seeing um, exactly what was going on um, with the edge-to-edge iPhone, and that became the iPhone X. Um, and, and finding out exactly what was going to happen to Touch ID and everything there as well, which has been obviously the loss of Touch ID, but the gain of Face ID. Yeah. Um, and you've you've got an iPhone 10, so perhaps you can, can sort of speak to a bit more of, of your sort of experience with that so far. Um, but do you think it's lived up to all the hype? I think, I think so. I think it, it lives up to its hype by, for the most part, disappearing Really, I, I don't really know it's there. It's almost like we've gone back to the good old days of when you didn't used to have a passcode on your iPhone and you'd just swipe to unlock. Um, it feels like I'm doing that. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out. Um, most commonly, first thing in the morning when I reach for my phone um, on like the bedside table and because I'm kind of like half lying down um, and the phone is quite often at a funny angle, it doesn't always work out. So there are little sort of areas where... You you can catch it out, um, yeah. But I suspect you know next year and the year after, probably they'll. You can imagine kind of the presentations now saying, "Oh, and Touch ID works at more uh, extreme angles, and we've extended almost like the the spread of the IR dots." So yeah, sometimes I find if I'm not sort of directly in front of the phone, sometimes if I'm sort of a bit too much to the side, it will sometimes fail. Um, so I think all those things are things that are going to improve, almost like the speed of Touch ID improved between the 6 and the 6S, that kind of thing. But yeah, it seems uh, almost amusing that you look back, probably not that many shows ago, and we were thinking, so are they going to put Touch ID under the screen? Or is it going to go yeah. on the back? <laughs> it's like, of course it's not, <laughs> of course it's not going to go on the back. But, you know. No, but, but I, I remember saying at the time, if they put the sensor on, put the Touch ID sensor on the back of the phone, then they've messed up. Yeah, you know that that was my general feeling because essentially they would have made a phone that um, would feel and look exactly like loads of Android devices. It's easy road out, isn't it, to that problem? Yeah, and I, I just just couldn't see that being the direction they would they would take. But I do think it's interesting because I can remember also believing very very strongly that Touch ID had to go on top of the phone, and it had to be somewhere baked into the screen. And that, you know, this, this this edge-to-edge thing was going to be great, but we were going to see some some very, very strange kind of technology that would manage to make everything work through the screen itself. And obviously that is extremely difficult to, to, to pull off. I don't think that, that, that just isn't really possible with today's technology, or certainly not to the way it would need to be to to be awesome, you know, and to, to just carry on working as, as, as Touch ID does with a proper button. There's a lot of ways that Face ID kind of feels almost inevitable when you kind of think through the problem. But I don't know now because it wasn't inevitable at the time, you know, when we were debating it and when everybody was kind of trying to figure out what was going to happen. Um, and, and this is one of those things where post the event, now seeing what they have and how that's working in practice, it's very, very easy to sort of kind of go, ah, but of course it had to be like that. 
Yeah, I, I know. I, I know exactly what you're saying. I'm sure I read an article the other day that some uh, company has almost successfully made a touch ID that can go onto a screen now. Um, right. But yeah, it almost feels like that's sort of barking up the wrong tree because now I've I've gotten used to Face ID. Um, there's no way I would want to go back to Touch ID. I, I don't miss it at all. That's how compelling and, and and good the technology is. And I think that's kind of why I say it. It just gets out of the way. It feels like it's not there. And for me, that's when technology is at its best. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't I don't long for the return of Touch ID at all. In in a way, I, I wish I'd kind of just hurry up and get Face ID everywhere. You know, in MacBooks, in you know the new iMac Pro revision number two that hopefully will come out in a year or so, assuming they don't leave it to rot for three or four years like they did the Mac Pro. Just saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm I think Face ID has probably got to be my my top highlight for this year. Um, so it's some seriously impressive tech going on, um, and it and it does it in such a, a graceful way. That the, you know the man in the street can just use it, and it just gets completely out of the way, and and allows the phone to be what it is. And how how have you found things? You know, like what is it now? Two weeks in, uh, with the, with you having the phone, how how have you found the notch? Um, the notch is, I would call it, just like a non-issue. Um, sure, it probably would be nicer if it wasn't there. You know, if if uh, twenty eighteen iPhones had no notch. Yeah, great. I, you know, we'd, I'd be applauding probably along with everyone else. Um, but as it is, I don't find it an issue. Primarily because I use the phone almost exclusively in portrait, unless I'm watching video or playing a game, which isn't that often. But um, more so video. Um, but sure, when you turn turn the device landscape, it kind of looks like a almost like the old iPhones, and it borders the video left and right. Yeah. Trying to get the black bars. Uh, so yeah, in portrait, my, my eyes aren't going to the top of the display very often. My my eyes are at the center of the screen, um, sort of working outwards occasionally to read content. But yeah, it, it it's not an issue at all. Okay, so one of the other products to get announced um, earlier on in the year was the HomePod. So Apple's. A foray into a new type of speaker obviously that's not released yet and i think it was supposed to be by now so it's behind schedule i believe now what are your thoughts there dave because i know you're you're running you're running the dot isn't it yeah i've, I've got an echo an echo dot yeah um i i don't really feel like i can make a judgment on the home pod because I haven't really used it in the same context that I use my Echo. The the delay to me feels like there's almost a reason to perhaps not write it off completely. Because if they were to just launch it with Siri as is now, just in a can with a load of speakers around it, I, I'm not sure I'd want it. Well, I definitely wouldn't want it. I can I can say that with some certainty. Um, <laughs> it doesn't really matter how good those speakers are. It's the the software exp- experience around it is going to be sort of subpar compared to what you would want. Yeah, and and those speakers are are the selling point if Siri is as it is now. Um, in which yeah. case, I would rather get a like a Sonos with Alexa baked in or something like that. However, the delay makes me think. Well, maybe maybe there is something more coming here. On, on the Siri side because you know software is hard and it can get delayed and maybe maybe they're working on something if they are yeah I, I will kind of give it a, a fresh set of eyes you know without prejudice and I hope it I hope it works out I hope it's great it's a lot of money um 
which again is another yeah. issue. Oh, what was it? Three hundred and forty-nine dollars. Three hundred forty-nine pounds. Yeah, swap the pound sign again. Um, and then double it for for New Zealand. Yeah, <laughs> just like that. Is it? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Oh. And then I look at it and think, what? There's not an awful lot wrong with the echoes. Not really. Um, in my case, I've got a dot plugged into a fairly decent sound system, although it's slightly convoluted. But never mind. Um, and it's really quite reliable. Um, it, it rarely fails on me. You, you've almost, you've got to know how to talk to it in a bit of a way. It's almost a, still a little bit command line-ish, but that's okay. Um, yeah, there's room for improvement there that could be done on the software side. So there, yeah, potentially it could get better. But they're so cheap. I mean, they're like at the minute. I think the dots are on sale for thirty-five pounds, right? Which are really cheap. And I saw the new uh, the new Echo with the speaker built in yesterday. The ones that have got the new kind of fabric finish on them. This is just like in Tesco's, like a supermarket here. And um, they were down to £69, which I thought was pretty good for a speaker yeah. and, uh, and with smarts built in. I haven't heard the audio quality. Um, I've heard that they're better than the Echoes they replace, which is probably just as well because I heard those weren't that great. But again, we spoke about this not very long ago. And I, I wonder whether enough people care enough about audio quality. For me, I use it sometimes for music but mostly for podcasts when I'm just, we've kind of got our setup in the kitchen. So when I'm just sort of bumbling around the kitchen or whatever, quite often I'll have a podcast on or maybe some radio, sometimes some yep. music. And I think if I had one of the new echoes with a speaker in, that'd be fine. And, and what are they? 69 pounds on sale now. I think they're 89 when they're regularly priced. Um, but that's, you can kind of justify that. That's yep. almost in like gift giving territory as well. If you've got a family member that, you know, think well what, what can we get them even if you know certain family members club together and buy someone a, a nice gift um as that i think that's kind of within within the realms of gift giving territory especially now, I, right? I just said so yeah i mean it's, it's going to vary for quite... different different people um which is fair enough but i, I think the home pod is certainly not within gift giving territory for most people um, no, not at all and i think just for for a bit of perspective uh, with um you know, friends that I've got back in the UK who are earning very high sort of contracting wages, um, even they would pause to sort of throw that money after the HomePod, but they wouldn't pause for the for the Alexa. Mm. You know, the the the, the Alexa's price point it, it becomes kind of a done deal. Oh yeah, I've got the money, boom, done. Whereas um even though they, they arguably have the money um for a home pod, they they would still pause no matter how into the apple ecosystem they are as well um i don't want to say it's it's going to completely kill the device but i do think that the the price point is going to be a big deal along with the the software itself just in terms of the sticking points and getting people over the line to actually having one with the home from a dev perspective and certainly from an indie dev perspective i, I worry that there's not really much of a, a sort of development story there you know, in terms of being able to have apps that really leverage it in in a, a unique and an awesome way, um, that doesn't really feel feel like it's it's that that bigger part of it. Yeah, it's. I think I find when I start, I often think the same things that you've just described. But then I, I think we have to remember that it's not really been properly announced, has it? It was almost a sneak peek. <laughs> and and yeah. when you think about what the journalists saw at uh, WWDC. They didn't really see anything much on the software side, and it was more or less just a demo of the speaker, which, 
again, the fact that it's been delayed, all these things give me a little bit of hope that yeah. may, maybe there's more to come. Maybe there isn't. And if there isn't, then, well, I don't really want one. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but it, does, it, does, it. it does feel like that the product is almost based on Apple's biggest weakness, which is Siri. Yeah. Which worries me quite a bit. Yeah. I um I don't know, my my other reservation I guess is it sort of being um trash can Mac Pro shaped um with, with fabric, obviously. Um but but you know, it's very reminiscent of that design to me as well. Which is perhaps a silly reason to sort of really run it down. But uh <laughs> gives gives me a little bit of a, a pause there for a second. Um I don't know. It would be nice, um it'd be very nice to sort of see um if this this kind of delay leads to it being a, a quite polished product. The benefits that Siri, if, if, if there's a Siri story there in terms of, of things becoming a little bit more advanced and, and better for the HomePod, um, the benefits of that is that that should also then kind of cascade into Siri elsewhere as well, um, I, I would hope anyway. So, you know, like you say, it's, it's not even out yet and... and the delays could all turn out to be positive, so so maybe this this could be something in 2018 that, that serves to surprise us. Well, we'll have to see what we're saying this time next year in our highs and lows of 2018 and see where the HomePod <laughs> falls. Alrighty, so next I think we've got software to talk about, and I think it's been a bit of an awkward uh, year for software. I think it's probably fair to say. Uh, yeah, certainly recently. Yeah, maybe if we'd uh, done this six weeks ago, we might have a slightly different take on it. But th- there's been a couple of uh, nasty bugs. Uh, the two that spring to mind is the kind of December 2nd bug, which was crashing the springboard over and over and over again. Um, yeah. And then, of course, we've got the root bug on um, High Sierra. Yes. Um, I think, I don't know, it's difficult. Bugs happen, right? Yeah, we're, we're both yep. software developers. Bugs happen. Fair enough. But I think these are particularly almost embarrassing bugs. There are some bugs where you're like, fair enough, that was a bug. Yeah, when, I, when I've been developing software and you get a bug, it's like, yeah, fair enough. It's bad that it's happened, but you know, it's a bug. These things happen. And there's some that happen. To me, I've had them and it's like, oh no, that's, that really shouldn't have happened. That isn't That is an embarrassing mistake. And as a developer, yep. you feel a bit stupid. Um, these kind of feel a little bit like that. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how, wait, where you fall down on it. Um, well, as, as I said a, a few weeks ago, this this sort of feels very much like these are things, certainly the root bug felt very much like something that should have been caught. And I, I sort of feel like, um, you know, there, there's recriminations kind of going on or certainly some introspection going on inside Apple against their, their sort of processes around that as well. Um but as you say, this stuff is difficult. This sort of thing can and does happen. Um, and I, I I just hope that Apple kind of bounce back from this reasonably well through next year because the problem I'm sort of seeing now is this is building behavior with end users um, in terms of waiting to upgrade. I, I, I think um, if you're if you're feeling unsure as to whether the, the, the upgrade or update is going to do something 
awful you're going to wait and you're going to wait to see okay does this do this to to everybody else i'm going to wait and see whether my, my friends are getting on okay with this or not which for me is actually the opposite of where i've been certainly with with ios quite often i've been able to sort of feel quite blase about it and I'll, yeah i'll update update onto the latest version of this and you know trust that there may be some rough edges here or there but but things won't generally be too awful and, and leave me with a um, a device I can't use in some fashion. Um, so I think they need to have a stronger go of it in 2018 in in that respect, because I sort of worry that people are going to kind of fall into the old Windows kind of logic where, you know, you never install it on the first day. You you wait, and if you if you care about, you know, having a device that works sort of thing, you let everybody else go first. Um, I don't really want that to be the case for, for iOS and Mac OS. Um, having said all of that, I don't think it's been a bad year for, for Apple software at all. Overall, I think there's been some, some awesome wins looking back. Um, APFS was, was truly awesome. You know, the jump between filing file systems on iOS that was practically invisible for the vast majority of users. Yeah, that that was impressive. Yeah, um, that's that was the type of move that I don't feel any other company could really have pulled off. I, I found really quite awesome. The whole file system underneath my my device's operating system changed between updates, and everything got moved from one to the other, and. I never even got to know about it. You know, things just worked. Wasn't there a, um, a release of iOS <clears throat> before APFS actually was rolled out in that it would do the transfer between HFS Plus to APFS and then basically just not apply it, but it would go through all the stages and check for success or not? Yes. And then... Yes, I believe that was the case. Yeah. So, I mean, really, that that to me is, is pretty incredible, the fact that your phone is doing that and then just at the last minute it's like, no, we don't actually want to apply it. And they're using that to gather test data. So when they actually do do the rollout, it's as smooth as, as possible. And, you know, I'm, yep. I don't doubt that there were people that maybe had issues with it, but I certainly haven't. Um, and now, of course, that the Macs have gone over as well. Yeah, and, and, and the benefits that that gives back to to the operating system, certainly in iOS 11, is is awesome as well. You know, that that, that is such a building block kind of change having that 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 file system file system there now underneath everything because that that enables moving up uh moving documents between apps on the ipad for example uh really really quickly those, those sort of types of tweaks and changes now that can be done in the operating system with with that filing system um is, is great yeah, I think that's definitely a bit of a win really against all of the, the sort of you know recent negatives i think that one's definitely a big win. See, it's easy to get sucked up into it, isn't it? When you read all the headlines, you know, Apple software quality is falling, Apple is doomed, and then you know you can listen to a lot of the podcasts that are kind of in the the, the tech sphere. And you know, we it's easy to have a good complaint at Apple, isn't it, about this kind of stuff? But then I think there's also a lot of good that they've done. Um, APFS being one of those things that stands out. Um, so pra- yeah. praise where praise is due, I think, on that. Okay, so speaking of the blog sphere and podcast sphere's ability to be quite negative about certain things, 
the Mac Pro has had a bit of a story about that this year, I think, in terms of, of everybody kind of getting quite antsy about there being no meaningful update to the Mac Pro and the, the trash can Mac Pro being sort of widely derided for sort of, you know, dying on the vine kind of thing in terms of updates. And yet that that persisted, I felt, for the first sort of few months of the year. And then we had the announcement that was made that, that there was going to be an update to the Mac Pro. Obviously, that is still in development. There is no actual uh, machine to play with yet, but that should happen next year. That's certainly something to look forward to. Um, and we've, we've spoken about this a few times, haven't we, Dave? Yeah. Well, I remember when uh, we heard about the Mac Pro announcement, I was on holiday at the time. And it was, was it around April time? I think it was. Um, and I think I'd lost track of the days because I was just like on holiday in holiday mode, relaxing. And when I started seeing the, the story come out on Mac rumors and everywhere else, I, I thought it was just like some kind of April Fool's gag because I thought oh, I was probably like the 1st of April. I think it was maybe a little bit later than that, it was like the 4th, but I just totally lost track of where I was in terms of time. So yeah. I, I, I read about it and I was like, oh, yeah, nice one. Close the window. And then <clears throat> maybe about half an hour later, I was like, really? Is that, is that really a thing? I went back and reread it and I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's almost like next year could be the year, but then... The way they phrased it, it was not that it's coming in 2018. It was that it's not coming in 2017. Yes. Uh, but I think they said on ATP this week, you know, as far as they're concerned, January 1, any day could be Mac Pro Day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, you know, I think it's fair, though, to sort of assess that it could be quite late in 2018 before anything happens there, if it is 2018. Yeah. Um it seems to me like maybe a, a reveal at dub dub would be appropriate. Um, yeah. followed by shipping in October, but actually people get it in January, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> no. Um and I think there's something here in terms of this being it's it's about a little bit more than just the Mac Pro in a sense. This this for me feels like this is about Apple having a plan in terms of the Mac itself. And, and about desktop computing itself, it's about them having a view on things like upgradability, um, because you know, looking at what they put out, looking at the way the the MacBooks have, have changed over the years, and everything else sort of combined in terms of the type of hardware they're putting out, there there is no upgrade path. You know, things are being removed, and the ability to to do things like updating RAM. Uh, getting in there to update drives and things like that is, is so difficult um, on the newer machines. So the Mac Pro itself is kind of asking Apple to um, to not do what Apple has decided they, they want to do over the years. This is asking Apple to kind of dial the clock back a little bit and give a machine that, that gives um, that, that, that pro-level uh, power, but equally the... the the request I think here that is going on is to give us a machine that is upgradable in some fashion that you can, you know, put new graphics cards in that, those sort of, those sort of things and um, have that, that kind of more traditional desktop computing relationship with the, the computer. So yeah, I feel like the Mac pro is, is quite a big deal in terms of what that then makes Apple do or not do. You know what direction they they take in terms of its 
upgradability or not, its modularity or not. It's going to be really interesting to sort of see see where they land on that next year. Yeah, I when people say upgradable, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit. Um, okay, yeah. Because I remember when I used to build PCs, I one of my kind of arguments for building one, people would say, why don't you just go and buy one? Or why don't you build, you know, I'm like, well, when I build one, I can sort of customise it exactly how I want it and then I can upgrade down the road and put new graphics cards in like you just said. The reality was I never did that. As soon as I wanted a new mm. graphics card, I basically wanted the more RAM that the latest chipset offered and I wanted the new CPU that had also come out. So pretty much I was looking at a new machine every time. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I wonder if, if, you know, if I were to go Mac Pro, would upgradability really matter that much to me? I'm thinking based on past experience when i had the opportunity to when i was building my own pcs i never really did um i would just rebuild a whole new box because i kind of got caught up in the moment of all this new tech and whatever yeah Um, and now certainly i've been so used to being on macs that typically you just can't really upgrade at all my 5k imac fair enough i upgraded the ram but that was purely to save money um because had i had apple do it it would have cost me an awful lot more uh, but even that's gone now. So I feel like that's almost been, they've almost conditioned me to not upgrade my machine. Or rather, yeah. when I do upgrade it, you upgrade it by buying a new one. Um, which is sort of what I did anyway when I could upgrade them. So I I, I don't know, maybe maybe given the expense of what the Mac Pro is likely to be, maybe I'd be more encouraged to do an upgrade rather than buy new. Um, yeah, and, and I think... Again, this this is kind of um, for me. It's it's about the types of behaviours that people have in terms of their sort of approach to to their computers. You know, um, I mean, you're sort of saying, okay, you you don't feel like you would really want to upgrade. By the time you come round to upgrading, you're kind of gutting out the whole machine anyway. So you may as well build as big and as strong as you can at the time, and then your upgrade path is to replace the whole machine a few years out from that when you really can't i guess when you really can't kind of use it to do the same sort of things anymore i think with some of the uses that you may have for for a mac pro and this is where i'm kind of thinking about the people i know sort of using them for for media servers and that that sort of thing and and kind of obviously i have the the background within uh live visuals and, and i made a vjing app so that's sort of part of my my history um but the the guys i know who are doing that on a kind of professional basis want the fastest graphics cards they can have in at the time to sort of run as much as they can in terms of video output and and, and doing all sorts of sort of processing on on the graphics card and the trash can mac pro was such a shame for those guys because portability it was awesome it had a handle on top you know um, you're sort of down to a machine that you could conceivably just sling, sling in a special bag kind of thing and take with you. So that's great. Um, but the way things were in terms of the graphics card inside of it is that they were kind of un, unfit for purpose for the types of things they were doing with those machines almost as soon as they were released, um, just in terms of the level, the lack of power that, that, that they had um, sort of quite quickly. I don't know. I I, I do think there there are situations and use cases where being able to add a little bit more ram swap the graphics card out or whatever and just sort of keep on trucking for another year another couple of years kind of postponing that sort of absolute replace everything kind of day Um, i think there are use cases for that for me 
kind of knowing people who sort of fit that, that that kind of demographic it would be nice to be able to sort of say okay there is actually a mac for you again now because a lot of these people are going back to windows for these these sort of tasks just because they're, they're, they're feeling like they're, they're kind of not only priced out of, of the mac but also that even then if they were to spend all the money they're not really getting the return on that investment in terms of the power so it'd be nice if there's a story within the new Mac Pro for sort of those those people to be able to sort of keep them within the Mac sphere. Mm. Um, I'm biased here, not least of which because I'd like to be able to make them software at some point. <laughs> um, you know, I don't want them to go to Windows. I, I could have a, a Go VJ for the Mac and, and be able to sort of do something there that um, that could be quite fun. Um, but as it stands, there's sort of this drive, like I say, outwards towards Windows. So. I'm, I'm very hopeful that that the Mac Pro can kind of bring some of these people back in. Yeah, and and obviously in light of the iMac Pro, which well, that's only on Thursday that was kind of released, right? For yeah. ordering. Um, yeah, the iMac Pro looks very very powerful. Um, it looks very nice, and I wonder how the Mac Pro is going to differentiate itself. And I think that upgradability is going to be a key part of it because the iMac Pro really is not upgradable at all. Yes, um, I think you can upgrade yeah. RAM, but you have to take it back to a, a, an Apple service center to even do that. So, um, no, I mean, the iMac Pro is arguably the the successor to the the trash can Mac, Mac Pro. This is what they were developing up until their announcement that yes, they were going to have a go at making a, a modular Mac Pro again. So it's, it's been quite interesting, really, sort of seeing that um, that 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 machine now being released, and I guess kind of putting that lens on it of this this is what Apple were making just before we 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 got that that sort of nod to sort of go no okay we are going to do something with the Mac Pro yeah th- this is this is what we what we were going to get and it's arguably a very powerful machine I think you've had concerns about whether it's um, the the thermals on the machine are going to be something to worry about yeah um, not least because uh, it seems to be fairly common knowledge now that some of the components are kind of clocked down, which, again, why would they do that? Well, for thermal reasons, right? So, again, it's like saying, well, why why have you sort of, why is one of the preconditions of this machine that it must fit in a 27-inch chassis? Well, why could why could you not just made it thicker and kept the components running at a higher, higher speed? But then, you know, some of the frustrations for the iMac Pro is that really that yeah that the, the overall speed of the machine is perhaps somewhat compromised by the fact it needs to fit on the back of a 27 inch iMac uh, the second frustration is the lack of upgradability but then i think that's pretty much how they're going to differentiate the, the iMac Pro and the Mac Pro in that those that absolutely require the fastest machine that they can have and they want the ability to, ability to upgrade if they sort of look at the iMac Pro and be like oh that's that's no good it's like well that's fine here is the Mac Pro, so kind of, kind of good in a way because I can see a lot of professional people um, being happy with the iMac Pro, in that it it suits their needs really, really well, and you know it's important that they have a nice all-in-one system, um, and that's fine. Yeah, it exists, and you've got you have the screen. It, it is. I need a workstation. Boom! There you go. This is the best workstation you can have. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I think the Mac Pro kind of the existence of the Mac Pro makes the frustrations of the iMac Pro much easier to handle. Yeah, no, I, I'd agree, and I, I, I'm wondering a few things. You know, like Apple left the the monitor market. You know, about what was that, eighteen months ago now? Yeah, they're um, coming back though, right, with the Mac Pro. 
Yeah, and you know, so okay, we 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 get a Mac Pro, and the 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 iMac Pro obviously exists. Um, what monitors am I going to use with the Mac Pro? Um, and I was thinking about this in that um, the people that I know who are doing motion graphics and doing things with with After Effects an awful lot. One of the the sort of typical setups now for them is that they have they have a regular iMac and they're they're actually they're, they're, that person has, has said their their shop is not interested in having iMac Pros at the price that they are because actually the the regular iMacs that they've got are doing uh, perfectly fine for the way they use them and the way they use them is that they've they've got iMacs as workstations but then they have um, big big beefy PC. Um, that's got After Effects running on it. That they that they schedule jobs on it, and that that does the rendering. So you know they 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 have like I say they have the nice five K monitor and and the, the the reasonable power of the iMac for sort of doing the 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 um the actual design and work on the desk, and then they hand that off otherwise to the other machine. So I I, I was thinking about this is that um is there a, a path here in terms of the iMac itself? could be used as the monitor for for the Mac Pro, like the regular iMac, you know, with a sort of target display mode kind of kind of thing going on. That's a very expensive setup though, isn't it? You're looking at Well yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you imagine that there's an update to the to the regular iMac, because there there is already the the, the lower end iMac that I think is what um the twenty one inch one mm-hmm. that has um the sort of pared down like really quite quite low powered CPU. Um, I think that's the the 4K iMac. I think is the, the entry level one of that. I think is quite low spec, isn't it, in terms of the CPU? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So if you imagine there was a version that is as, as basically as low powered as it, it could possibly be in the 27 inch chassis with a 5K monitor on it, as, as low powered as it could possibly be for running that monitor that had target display on it. Um, that would be a natural fit then as as you use that as your monitor for, for this new Mac Pro. Um, and like you say, that would be quite an expensive monitor sort of straight off the shelf. But then you're also straight into the territory then of, depending on where the new Mac Pro's price point is, but it potentially puts you in that territory of a Mac Pro with its respective 5K monitor is kind of instantly into iMac Pro pricing point territory. That could be quite an interesting move. Mm. Um, because the one thing that um, that I think they need to avoid with the Mac Pro is cannibalizing the the iMac Pro's sales as well. So I think paired with a monitor that makes it essentially the same, but it's this upgradable box to the side, um, we we should expect it to cost a similar amount of money. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of money. I think um, gone, yeah. gone gone are the days where the Mac Pro starts at like two and a half thousand dollars. Yeah, I don't know. The fact that it comes without a monitor, maybe there's some scope that it could be cheaper. But yeah, something tells me this isn't going to be cheap. No, and yeah, like I say, that my my gut instinct is that then, like I say, it's got to come out at a very similar, if not more expensive, price than the iMac Pro. Um, as soon as you want to sort of run it with a 5K monitor, we shall see. Get your um, checkbooks at the ready. Is, <laughs> yeah, this is this is for next year. Okay, so we're going to round off our uh, tech year in review with the MacBooks. Um, Dave, you're probably best to talk about this because you actually have one of the new MacBooks, right? Through work? 
That's right, yes. So I've got, I've got a, my paper kite laptop is a MacBook Pro. It's one of the new ones. Space Gray, Touch Bar. Um, yeah, it's the 256 gigabyte SSD configuration with 16 gig of RAM and okay. a 2.8 gigahertz um, processor. So I suppose that the the, uh, the question that comes to my mind is how have you actually found the touch bar? Because I find it seems to split opinion. And having not really used one, I don't have one on my own. No, and I think that's, that's fair to say it does split opinion. Um, I haven't found the lack of escape key to be that awful, to be honest with you. Um, and because um, where escape is on the, on the touch bar, it's in the same spot. And I don't actually hit it that often. So uh, one of the things that does um, bother me with the touch bar is sort of the lack of, of kind of um, haptic feedback. You haven't got that that kind of tactile thing of having keys. And it feels like such a natural fit to have um, have the same sort of thing as they've got with the trackpad in terms of giving you some sort of vibration or, or feeling when you press the keys on it. Right, yeah. So yeah, that, makes sense. that feels like that feels like something that's missing um actually to my, to my mind it feels like a natural kind of upgrade to it over the next year or two actually day-to-day use with the touch bar it's it's really odd to sort of describe to be honest I, I feel like i don't necessarily get as much out of it as i might but i do find myself using it i haven't kind of gone oh no this is awful and just switched everything off and and done my best to ignore it you know i do use it for just sort of incidental kind of movements really like controlling the volume controlling my my screen brightness um playing and pausing music from spotify that 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 sort of access controls for that are quite nice when you've got spotify up and running and playing um but then it certainly wouldn't be something that I would would say would lead me to sort of making an elevated purchase. I don't think it's worth spending lots more money to have it. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so you know, if you, if you're on the fence and your sort of choices between a configuration that doesn't have it or not, yeah, I wouldn't go for the Touch Bar now. Now, having had it, I wouldn't go for the Touch Bar um, just because it's new and shiny either. Um, yeah. Okay. It really does sort of I, I guess i've got this kind of split opinion I, I've, I've got one and i have one here um because work have given it to me and that that's great and the machine itself is is pretty great um i mean i think this this generation of machines do have a few kind of foibles here and there i was just saying my next question yeah. is how have you found dongle town um not too bad i have the i have the AV dongle that um, lets you connect an HDMI display. So I run an external monitor off of that. And that gives me a, a regular USB port as well, uh, which I use right now. I'm using that for running running this microphone. Um, but actually, the amount of times I go to use regular USB with this computer are, are quite minimal. Um, you know, I have my my lightning cable plugged in through that to connect my phone and if i didn't have that dongle then i, I could get a usb c to lightning cable and just plug the phone in obviously with xcode uh, 9 we can now do wi-fi based um sort of running 
running builds, so you don't need to be plugged in all the time. Yeah, I've been doing a bit of that myself, actually, uh, this past week. Yeah. Uh, really nice. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. I, I use it with my iPad, um, and it's it, that's really quite cool. You know, I, I quite often have the phone plugged in anyway, just as a matter of course. Um, but if I want to check something out on the iPad, I can send it over Wi-Fi. Um, so that's good because I don't have two dongles and don't have two cables to sort of do so with, with the four USB-C, USB-C ports that I've got. Um, so, yeah, I've not actually found the dongle thing to be that bad, to be honest with you. Um, but that that is very much down to how I use the computer. I don't have loads of SD cards for cameras and things. Um, I don't tend to use external drives such send things over network or over cloud-based storage. Um, you know, if I did anything that sort of required external disks all the time, that, that would probably have been a pain. Um, but no, it's it's pretty awesome overall, really. The, the speed of the machine, I've definitely appreciated. It's an odd one to call. Um, I sort of feel like there are a few few rough edges with the machine here or there in terms of Quite often I get these little glitches, like I come back to the machine and because I've got it so that it, it locks, um, I get a black screen, but I can still see notifications popping up. And it's kind of like when, when it goes to unlock and then when it's connected to an external monitor, it, it kind of glitches and doesn't really realize that it should be running the display on the, the laptop properly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and even if I sort of shut the lid and open the lid, Sometimes that doesn't bring it back and I have to do a sort of hard reset and that's that's quite awful. Um, that happens to me maybe two or three times a week. So it's it's not often enough to be a problem every single day, but it's often enough to kind of go, oh, this shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. Um, but that, that feels more like a software issue than hardware, to be honest with you. Well, speaking of hardware, is your keyboard holding out okay? So far, so good, uh, despite the fact that I kind of hammer the hell out of it at times it seems um this keyboard is loud i think depending on how you type but for a lot of people it is a loud keyboard in terms of the the sort of clicks and clacks that it makes um which is odd it sort of feels like because there's less travel than i'm used to that kind of naturally leads me to to hitting the keys that bit harder yeah um and then they're quite noisy for that and so it's this kind of like vicious circle. Um, I try, I do try not to sort of hammer them too hard, but yeah, you know, I get going and I'm coding. And you shouldn't have to try though, should you? It should just be all right. No, exactly. Sense. And I, I never had to try with with my old um, with my old MacBook Pro. So yeah, you know, which was the the 2013 uh, 13 inch model with the old keys. Um, so yeah, that that does feel. It bothers um, me a lot as a potential buyer. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think I could buy what's out now um, with much confidence. Um, I'd be very, very worried that that would go wrong. Um, especially as I don't really tend to buy Apple Care because it adds quite a lot of money to the initial purchase price. And I figure if I don't buy it on everything, then after so long, I've kind of made a device worth of money back, so I can just buy a device if I need to. <laughs> um, yeah, and. Um consumer laws reasonably strong as well yeah but I, th- I think i'm almost waiting for i don't know like a new a new revision of this keyboard to come when they upgrade them or, or something it 
it would definitely put me off. It feels like now is not the right time to be looking at a MacBook, which is probably part of the reason why I just have been trying to make my current MacBook Pro limp along for as long as I have with what with the kernel panics and the uh, the battery that swelled up and nearly exploded the other week. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think assuming they can get that keyboard sorted out. I think it looks like quite a nice machine. I don't think I would personally find the USB-C thing a problem. I look at what I use USB for, and that is essentially just plugging in this microphone once a week. Okay, we'll call that a wrap for this episode. Uh, If you've enjoyed the show, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. It's always great to hear from our users. Or if you're an Overcast user and would be kind enough to recommend us, you can do so by hitting that star button. Um, Also, we'd like to remind you we have a Slack channel and you'd be more than welcome to join if you'd like to. There will be instructions in the show notes. Or the best way is just to reach out to us on Twitter at WFR Podcast and we'll get you signed up. So before we run off, Dave, where can people find your work? Um, you can find my applications at roboheads.com. That's roboheads spelled with a Z at the end. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at dwroboheads. Again, that's spelled with a Z at the end. How about you, Dave? Yeah, you can find my remote control for Cody at armchair-remote.com. My newest app to help kids learn to read, you can find at spacereaders.com. And on Twitter, I am at underscore Dave Knott.